Welcome to the Not A Mommy Yet podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Fay. I started the Not A Mommy Yet blog and this podcast because I've always known I want to be a parent one day, and you might be listening because you feel the same. You may have also heard people with kids say things like, I wish I had known this before I had kids, or I wish I had done that. Hearing those comments made me think about the parts of my life I want to spend more time focusing on before I have kids in ways that will benefit me as a parent. So I started a list of people who can teach me about health, money, relationships, psychology, and more, and started interviewing them, and this podcast was born. Whether you plan to have kids or not, I think you'll find something interesting in this podcast for you. I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and maybe even share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. So today on the podcast, I have the pleasure to be speaking with Nicole Jardim, aka The Period Girl. Nicole is a certified women's health coach and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines simplicity and sass. Her incredible work has impacted the lives of hundreds of thousands of women around the world in effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PMS, irregular periods, PCOS, painful periods, amenorrhea, and more. Nicole is also the co-host of The Period Party, a top-rated podcast on iTunes. Be sure to tune into that if you want to learn more about how to fix your period. And she's the creator of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition's Hormone Health Continuing Education course. Finally, she's the author of the forthcoming book, Fix Your Period, due to be released in April 2020, and the co-author of The Happy Balance, a gorgeous recipe book filled with over 80 hormone balancing recipes. Thank you for being here, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you. <laughs> I'm so excited as well. Yep. Um, I really feel like right now is a time where women are actually starting to get more engaged in how their bodies work and learning about our health, being advocates for ourselves, kind of understanding our, our hormones and the way our bodies work. Mm-hmm. Would you agree that it's like starting to kind of pick up? Yes, girl. <laughs> we are. I feel like periods are having a moment. Yes, <laughs> they seriously. really are. Yeah, and and so are hormones. You know, it's so interesting that you brought that up because when I first started doing my fix your period program back in like 2011, before launching it, I actually pulled a ton of women in my life mm-hmm. and asked them, you know, what they thought of when they thought of hormones. Yeah, and it was like. Oh, I think of menopause or pregnancy or the hell of puberty or yeah. whatever. You know, nobody really thought of hormones and their period. Yeah. Like they thought of PMS, but they never understood like the entire menstrual cycle and how much hormones play a role in it. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I can't call it fix your hormones because women don't get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they think of, you know, they think of like PMS or something or menopause. Right. So it really has, I think, done a huge 180 mm-hmm. in that women are now really understanding what's happening in their bodies and really advocating for themselves. Like this is not something that I was seeing a lot of to just 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this kind of started for me when I started this blog actually, because then I bought the book, uh, the woman code, I was thinking of going off birth control, um, which I did after 10 years a year ago and I will never go back. Like it was the best decision of my life. (laughs) I try not to like force it on anyone, but I'm like, just explore the option because When I was reading this book, I was like, okay, so all these hormones, I remember learning about them in biology. Like, I remember this. But they were never connected, and I was at an all-girls school. Never connected to my actual life, like my body. Um, It was just very scientific. And so when I started to realize, you know, this is 
like every single day I'm affected by this and how my birth control was also affecting it. I actually reached out to my high school. I was like, you guys need to be teaching this book. Like you guys need to, you guys need to, this is a bunch of women who they start with probably not having their period yet. So what I wanted to ask you was like, you know, for a girl who gets her period, let's say 12, 13 in a perfect world, how would she have already been supported before that point? Oh, such a good, it's such a good question because it's, it's a, a big one. It's an ongoing issue, I right? I know. I would say that, you know, I, I use this example a lot and it's the example of Holland. Mm-hmm. They start sex ed, you know, appropriate sex ed yeah. at a really young age. Yes. In fact, they started at like four. I actually yeah. have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting because when I talk about this, a lot of women are just like, what? No way. And I find that fascinating. Just having a general understanding of what's going on with your body mm-hmm. at like five years old, because none of us had that awareness as mm-hmm. far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely have haven't spoken to anyone who did unless they had a parent who was really just you know totally in the know yeah um but so I I find that really interesting and then of course it progresses throughout you know the their primary school and then high school and whatnot and what's interesting about their statistics is that they have far lower rates of teenage pregnancy. Mm-hmm. They have a lot lower rates of girls who had sex for the first time and regretted it or you know, or felt coerced into it or pushed into it or something that they didn't want to do. And that to me is really remarkable. Mm-hmm. And that is a very clear example of why we need to be talking about this. And yeah. you know, my friend Laura Werschler, she is a women's health critic and writer and she coined this term body literacy. And, you know, I've sort of taken it a little step further and, and talk about period literacy mm-hmm. and this idea that we really not only need to understand, you know, what is happening with our hormonal health and, and just with our menstrual cycle, but we really need to know that our period can give us all these clues to our health, like yeah. our overall health. And so when do you tell a girl that? And I, I really think that in just conversating with all of my mom friends, they're all talking to their kids about that now at pretty young ages. They use the right terms for anatomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they just talk about it with no emotion attached to it whatsoever. So it's like just talking about going outside and playing. So yeah. I was talking about your vagina. Yeah. Or your ball. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I think that if parents can just, uh, yeah, remove their emotional attachment to or uncomfortableness with all of this, then they can, then you just have these conversations. It's completely natural and normal. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's part of it. I also think that there should be, man, a nationwide (laughs) conversation, (laughs) education program in schools, like you said, right? You read Woman Code and you were immediately so moved to want to put this in schools. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, Mm -hmm. so I I feel you. (laughs) We didn't have sex ed. We had something called Christian family life education. Okay. Oh yeah. And and it was, we were terrified of sex basically by the end of it. And we were actually even shown videos of abortions so that we would never have sex. Oh yeah. Wow. I know at 14 or 15. So for me, I, you know, I was pretty traumatized and that's like like more scarring than actually just talking about how it really works, right? Yeah. Being more honest. Oh, about crazy. It. I know, seriously. Um, so, yeah. yes. So, there, I really do think that from a young age, we can have these conversations yeah. and, you know, and remove our own <laughs> preconceived notions about what all of this means for us and right. kind of start with a clean slate with our kids. 
Yeah. And I, I love that opportunity, right. To start with that clean slate. And that's what I think I'm trying to do with this podcast too, is, um, getting people who think they want to have kids one day, or even if they're just going to be like an aunt and uncle or someone important in another child's life. Yeah. Um, how can they support that child? And like, educate themselves now that will also benefit their life, right? Like, especially if they have a uterus, have a period, right? Like, these are things that we should know. Um, So when it comes to birth control, because I definitely, you learn all about the different contraceptions, like, in high school, right? Um, And this thought, I kind of think now, like, is there a world where I wouldn't have my teenager, like, if I had a girl, go on birth control for preventing pregnancy, right? For no other reason than that. Um, And I saw you posted on Instagram the other day that you've been tracking yourself for a long time. And I I started doing that when I first went on birth control, but I am the worst with like the temperature and like doing all of that. So I just kind of like, I have a tracker, but... I'm not as organized as you are about it. I just am like, let's just use condoms and just call it a day. But um, what kind of support could you say um, you could give like a teenager if they don't want to go on birth control, right? But they are thinking about having sex because that's like a terrifying thought for a lot of parents, right? Like what if my teenager gets pregnant? I really can't even imagine. I know, right? I think back to being a teenager. And I know. I was terrified, so I can't even imagine what my mom was thinking about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really interesting because I think it's so dependent on the teenager. Right? Yeah. It really depends on the person. Yes, and that's what true. it is that she wants to, you know, what she's open to. Mm-hmm. So I had a parent reach out to me the other day, and she was talking about the fact that her daughter resisted this natural, this idea of natural birth control or practicing the fertility awareness method, which is, you know, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, that's a method where you're tracking those symptoms. Like you said, your basal body temperature, your cervical fluid, or even your cervical position and other symptoms along the way. And, uh, she was like, she fought me tooth and nail. And, you know, and I introduced her to the Daisy and, and again, the Daisy is a fertility tracker. It's not a birth control device, but it can tell you whether you're fertile or not, Mm -hmm. depending on the day you're on. And, she finally was sold on it because she, you know, read through the people's experiences and mm. she read my blog post and whatnot. And so That's it was, awesome. yeah, I know. So I was like, okay, like we can definitely work with this. Yeah. And I think that coming back to puberty, like you were talking about and this, the cultural narrative around periods period is a huge <laughs> problem and mm-hmm. really needs to shift. And I really think that if, Girls were to have, you know, were to be taught what is happening with their menstrual cycle from start to finish, you know, every cycle. And they had a general idea of what's going on. It wouldn't feel like this big black hole. And they just, you know, they have to just be on birth control to protect them from their fertility. Right. And I think there's so much fear involved because there is such a a serious lack of education Mm -hmm. and such a void to fill. And if we could, if we're, if we could just, we, if we could just implement (laughs) a nationwide training program, I mean, but if, if parents could just start that conversation and then, and then it maybe it's a conversation that has to happen in schools as well. I think it does to a degree. Definitely. Yeah. Right. And then, um, you know, from there we, I think we would be, in a far better position for when it comes to 
girls opting for alternative forms of birth control. Yeah. It's like only two to three percent of people in the country use a fertility awareness based method. That's really sad. Yeah. And it's based on this this unfounded belief that it's inaccurate. And so I think ultimately, like I said, it comes back to the teenager and and just educating them. So I, right. I really think it's up to parents to to try and, and start doing that. Yeah, because yeah, like you said, it would be nice if it was nationwide, right? And implemented in schools. But actually I think sex education, it's only required in like half of the country and then even in that within that only half of that requires scientifically based sex education right so it's it's crazy to think that half the country first of all isn't even receiving sex education so I think you're right it does really fall on parents regardless of where they live in the United States to take on a big role in this in their kids lives and I think that they should want to right like they should want their kids to have a healthy relationship with sex and a healthy relationship with their bodies um, and intimacy and all that. And granted, those are like big conversations. It's not easy. And I'm not a parent. I can only imagine. (laughs) I mean, like my boyfriend has a 12 year old and those conversations are starting and he like, it's been very interesting to kind of be on the side watching. And like, he talks to me about it before he talks to his son and it's been interesting. But, um, but yeah, I think, um, the conversations on birth control, the two to three percent, that has a lot to do with like the marketing of birth control. Right? Like it's easy, just take a pill. Like it's easy, just like get the IUD. It's easy. But something that really struck a chord with me was in your podcast last week, where I think it was Lori. Was that her name? Yes, Lori King. Lori mm-hmm. King. Yeah, she um, said that it's um, when you take the birth control pill, it's like putting gas in a car that's just parked and you never drive it. Like yeah. with the estrogen, yeah, you're just constantly pumping estrogen into your body, so your body has like no way to get rid of it. Hence, all of these like negative symptoms. Right. That's yeah, definitely. That's a simplified way of saying it. But right. Totally. Yeah. But it was sure. like so. That's such a great way of picturing it. I yeah. for me at least, I was like, whoa, like light bulb moment. That's crazy. Right. Um, but when it comes to all those symptoms, is there a world where there are none? Like, is that actually a possibility? Like symptoms <laughs> on hormonal birth control? Or no, no, or? P- for pe- your period. Oh, yeah. Period like, symptoms. so once you go off of it, you know, because I've been trying a lot of different things. Like, I eat sauerkraut, I eat a lot of cilantro. I'm more focused on like acne um, and like cleansing my body. I take a probiotic, like making sure that I'm kind of balanced in that way right. and eating more leafy greens. Like, my lifestyle has definitely changed since going off birth control and learning about how I can support my, my cycle yeah. um, through my lifestyle. But I used to still get symptoms. Like I did start getting way less cramps, which was crazy. Cause that was like my one symptom that I really got the most of, but, but yeah, like what would it really take to get to a point where you're just kind of like getting your period once a month and that's kind of the extent no of it. No big deal period. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> I well, I'll tell a little story because basically I was that girl who had the dramatic, ridiculous teenage periods, mm-hmm. you know, the type that you stay home from school two days yeah. a month and you're, I, I was terrified to go to school because it was so heavy. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I mean the, the feeling of leaking through your school uniform yeah. or your clothing in high school, you're just, you may as well just like, even right out of the planet like don't even come back yeah (laughs) traumatizing and I you know and that happened once or twice to Mm me it was just the worst and so it's like the pain the heaviness the crazy mood swings I mean my mother just 
she she had terrible periods too mm-hmm. and she was like this is just kind of your lot in life like this yes, is just it I, I don't know I've what heard. else to do and that's you know even the birth control conversation it's the same thing mm-hmm. right we really have to shift the paradigm and that generation of women just there was no conversation about that whatsoever and and I think that you, we, we're passing down this this sort of inherent shame, and right. I do think that girls, though, and teenagers are way more open about it now. I mean, so many of them track their cycles, so I do think that that's part that's of this, awesome. you know, this conversation around birth control for teenagers as well. Mm-hmm. But coming back to that, yeah, it is definitely possible to have a period that, like I was saying, is no big deal. (laughs) It depends though, right? On so many factors. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was never diagnosed with endometriosis or any other condition. Pretty sure something was up for sure. Like I, you know, eventually what happened with those heavy, horrible periods was that they started coming every three, four months. And I had no idea why. And again, my mom was like, I don't know either, but isn't this a good thing? You know, you don't have to deal with everybody (laughs) finding the silver lining. True mom. Right. I know. (laughs) Exactly. It's like just kind of what we figured, you know, and then eventually... I think it was like four months and I, you know, of course, when you haven't had a period in four months, you're really bloated. Things are horrible. You feel terrible. Finally, I go and see this gynecologist and, you know, after listening to what I said, she says, okay, I think you should just go on the pill. Mm-hmm. I was psyched. I mean, I was so psyched because all of my friends were already on the pill for birth control and things like that. And I, you know, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to go on this pill and this is going to be my period panacea. I am going to be legit now. Yeah. I can finally live life. Yeah. And it really was that for me for a while. And I, you know, so I really get mm-hmm. when you've been through the trauma of like a monthly period that is relentless, mm-hmm. um, whether it's pain or the heaviness or whatever, acne or the PMS or PMDD symptoms, I get it. And so I did that for five years, but like my hormones went from sort of one end of the spectrum to the other. And I started not having a period at all. And my hair was falling out and I had melasma all over my face, which is, you know, really what tends to happen when you're pregnant. Right. Um, You know, I put on all this weight. I had horrible gut health issues my joint, I had joint pain at like 21, 22 to the point where walking down the stairs was really difficult. You know, it was all of these issues that came up that, uh, nobody could explain. I saw all of these different doctors because I really was so, I was so supportive of allopathic medicine back then. I was Mm -hmm. like, they're going to figure this out for me. You know, like the gut health doctor and the joint doctor. None of them are talking to each other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No No body (laughs) systems are in communication. Yeah. Yes. So eventually I saw an acupuncturist and that was, you know, a, a turning point for me. And he, he suggested that the pill could be the problem. And here's why, you know, it, it doesn't allow you to have a normal cycle every mm-hmm. month. And I was like, wait, what, ah, you know, huge light bulb. Yeah. And that was really the shift. And I started, I changed everything. And again, I was 23, 24 mm-hmm. at that time. So I think that the younger you do it, of course, the easier it will potentially be. And within a few months, I, you know, I came off the pill and I wasn't having a period that was, you know, putting me in bed for two days every month or, you know, making me miss work, school, things like that. And I really, I truly believe that we are, the body wants to heal. Mm -hmm. It just needs the right tools. Right. And that's, you know, ultimately what it comes down to. However, I will say that, you know, I don't want to discount the fact that if you have adenomyosis or endometriosis or a condition that you potentially had for a long time and it's gone undiagnosed because, you know, doctors haven't diagnosed it for a variety of reasons, 
you know, it might take longer or you may never get to that point. You may right. be able to reduce the symptoms, but you might not get to the point where you just have a pain-free period. Although I've right. seen that many times. Yeah. So I, you know, it's, it's just so dependent, I think on the current state of your gut health, what you're eating, your life circumstances, the yeah. amount of stress you have in your life, uh, your hormonal, yeah, mm-hmm. your hormonal equilibrium in that moment. I, there are just a lot of different factors. Your genetics as well. Do right, you detox estrogen well or not? Right. Like what yeah. Lori was saying about the birth control pill is, you know, she, she also describes it as like doctor prescribed hormone imbalance, mm-hmm. which I, I was like, very clever. Yeah. Very clever. <laughs> yes. It really is that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this idea, you know, like Laura Bryden says, you know, t- turning off ovulation is a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately we have to figure out a more sustainable way of addressing period issues. But to come back to your your question, I really do think that it's possible to have a significantly less problematic period if you right. have terrible, terrible periods. And if your t- periods are not that bad, I do really think you can reduce it to the point where you just don't have symptoms. Yeah. Like symptoms that disrupt your life. Right. There are always going to be symptoms. I yes. mean, like... It's not a symptomless event every yeah, month. Or exactly. Every yeah, exactly. exactly. But you can definitely reduce it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing when it comes to endometriosis and PCOS, too, um, that was interesting. I spoke, I heard a gynecologist, an OBGYN, actually say um, that, you know, when you go on the pill for endometriosis, because endometriosis, you're scarring, exactly. right? Your your uterus, I guess, or you're scarring your um, yeah. So it's well, it's yeah. It vel- it ends up being scar tissue, scar tissue. in many cases, right. yeah, on your uterus or in your pelvic cavity, generally right. speaking, or even on your bowel. Right. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So she was. So she said, you know, going on birth control will help reduce the scarring, which will help later if you want to get pregnant, because if you have all the scar tissue, it's going to be harder to get pregnant. Yeah. She was like, and then when you go off you have, you should try and get pregnant the one to two months after before you experience any bad symptoms. Cause then you'll be pregnant and you won't have any bad symptoms. And then you'll just go right back on the pill after you give birth. So she was just like prescribing this lifetime birth control solution, right? Yeah. Which I just really now view birth control as a bandaid. Totally. And like you said, there are those very extreme circumstances and genetics and things where people do go on birth control. It changes their life. They have no bad side effects. And it's like, that's awesome. Good yeah, for you. You right? know? But for a lot of women, that's not the case. And then, you know, when they do go off, it could come back worse. And then they're kind of just stuck where they were at the beginning when they could have spent that time, in my opinion. And I felt that way, too, because I went on it for acne. And then 10 years later, and it might have been moving here that did it, but like something triggered it and my skin was terrible. Like it was the worst. It was terrible. And then I went off. My hair started growing in thicker. I just like lost 10 pounds kind of without trying. I, my skin cleared up. I was just like, oh my God, the thing that was supposed to be helping me was obviously preventing me from getting to this point, right? right. This healthier version of myself. So um, birth control is just such an interesting topic for me. And, and the same goes with, I think, like pregnancy and delivery too, how women are still very just like OB hospital mm-hmm. kind of route when the statistics aren't really great for that route. So I just think it's very interesting how women, what, what kind of steers them in one direction versus the other. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's our cultural narrative, right? Like when you think about the birth control pill, for instance, that, you know, I, I actually wrote this in my book because there is a really great, well, there's a number of studies talking about the birth control pill being labeled as a, a quote unquote lifestyle drug mm-hmm. in the eighties and nineties because they stalled, they just sort of stalled out on the research in the early eighties because mm-hmm. they realized, you know, this is a pretty 
big liability, this particular type of medication. Yeah. It's like people can get pregnant and, yeah. you know, it causes a lot of problems. And so, um, and they, the idea with the pharmaceutical companies that were making these pills was that they were going to use it to treat irregular periods or acne mm-hmm. or, you know, any of these sort of cosmetic issues. Yeah. And it was a lot easier to, to sell the pill for that right. versus just for birth control. And so we really haven't had a lot of innovation since then until, you know, the sort of the women's tech uh, boom in the yeah. last five to seven years. And so, you know, I think with the birth control pill or this idea that, you know, it's very easy to just pop a pill, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of our, that's the American way. Yeah. That's what I did for 10 years. <laughs> right. Like, I know. Right. On, on all levels, yeah. you know, whether you have high blood pressure or, you know, cholesterol or something like that, it's right. the same thing. So yeah, it's much easier to do that than to really explore what's happening with your body mm-hmm. and, and understand like that your hormones change throughout your cycle and that there's ovulation and you're really only fertile, you know, for 12 to well, 24 to 48 hours every month, right? right? By yourself, if there's no sperm involved. Yeah. And so it's really important for us to get that. But at the same time, we're just not. And I think that that's just perpet- been perpetuated over decades. Yeah. 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 Cause it is like you said, easier. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually heard a fertility doctor say that if the birth control pill was introduced today, it probably wouldn't be approved by the FDA. Whoa. Because it was just so it's, it's, it is, it does a lot to, to our bodies and just, yeah. I thought that was so interesting when I heard him say that. I was like, wow. That's, <laughs> That's really interesting to me too. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, they're also trying to figure out the male birth control pill or whatever yeah. they're trying to do with that, which he explained is very, very hard. And then he also said, you know, and you don't want to have any negative side effects. I'm like, oh yeah, God forbid there's negative side effects for like, men. Dude, the ladies have been dealing with I the know. front of the negative side effects I for know. decades now. <laughs> I mean, just don't even come to a with your mood issues from the male birth control I know, pill. right? Just like, stop. I know. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, that was really interesting. So then going off and kind of educating yourself about how your hormones work in your lifestyle, what do you normally recommend to people, like their process? Because I consulted a doctor and um, someone through Elisa Vitti, I don't I think that's how you pronounce yeah. her name, her um, office. And and the doctor was like, yeah, you should be fine. Like, it was a stupid 15-minute phone call through the Oscar app. Like, I didn't want to go into the office here, but I was just like, okay, I'll just go off. I guess since I just went on it for acne, it should be fine. Right. And it was fine. Like, the doctor was like, just, you know, things might go crazy at the three-month mark. I was like, okay. That's all, all that's all that's <laughs> cool. Yeah. Can't wait. Right. Terrifying, um, right? But I really did. I was so committed to, like, seed cycling and making sure I was eating different, like, foods for each phase of my cycle that yeah. supported each one. I was, like, so committed to it. So nothing happened at the three-month mark. Everything was fine. I was, like, waiting for the day. And I, I've gotten a period every 28 days pretty much since that's going awesome. off the pill, which is, I, I know, is not not common. Like I am very lucky. Um, but how do you like kind of help people navigate that experience? Yeah. I, you know, I, I just want to comment and say that, you know how you just said you're very lucky. Isn't it amazing how we say that when our health goes well, it's like (laughs) women are pre-programmed to think that we're lucky because things are going well for our health and it's just the norm to be totally dysfunctional and messed up. Yeah. Sorry for the, the, Oh, it's okay. It's New York. (laughs) York. Exactly. (laughs) 
I figure you know. Um, <laughs> so that's, you know, that's really sad to me because mm-hmm. I really think that we have to completely shift that perception. Mm-hmm. And that, again, that requires a bit of a paradigm shift mm-hmm. in our society and our, you know, our beliefs around how women's bodies should work and that they're not inherently broken. And when you think about the number of women around the world who are on the birth control pill mm-hmm. or some kind of hormonal birth control because they're, you know, they've, they've sort of received this, this message, this mm-hmm. subliminal message and sometimes very overt message that their bodies don't work the way they're supposed to mm-hmm. without these interventions, these medical interventions. So I'm just, it drives me <laughs> a little bananas, but anyway. Um, so when it comes to getting off, you know, I always, of course, recommend speaking to your doctor and, you know, right. and, and consulting and finding out, you know, what the potential side effects of that are and the ramifications for it are, especially if you're on it because you have a condition like endometriosis or PCOS or something like that. But like you said, it really is a Band-Aid. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I think whoever's listening probably wants to understand, you know, what, what is the pill doing? And I don't know if you've spoken about it on previous episodes, but the idea here is that the pill is basically shutting off ovulation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's shutting off the key driver of your entire menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. I mean, your period is not really the star of the show. It's actually ovulation. And so the idea is that you're turning all of that off. So you're shutting down communication between your brain and your ovaries. And that has far reaching implications for the rest of your body. It has problem. It will cause problems potentially for your thyroid, for your adrenals, for your gut health. I mean, and then for your brain function even. So it hijacks a lot lot of different systems and um and ultimately when you're when you turn off ovulation you're turning off production of estradiol which is your key estrogen and progesterone so these these hormones are just not being made in in the amounts that you would normally make them because they're made primarily in your ovaries Mm -hmm. um and the problem with that it wouldn't be such a big deal (laughs) if those hormones didn't do a whole lot of other things but they do i mean estradiol plays a huge role in bone health i mean Mm -hmm. there are multiple studies now showing that teenagers on the pill hormonal birth control are you know have developing bone issues i mean we're we can't develop bone issues in our teens our Mm -hmm. our bones are still growing i think until your early 20s basically so that's a huge issue um i've encountered many women in their 20s and 30s who have osteopenia or even early stage osteoporosis because they were on the pill for 15 years i mean that's part of it of course and then osteopenia oh so that's pre-osteoporosis yeah so it's you know when your bones are starting to show signs of issues and so that there's that and then estradiol plays an integral role in your brain health Mm -hmm. and so of course like it helps with serotonin production and mood issues and all these kinds of different um you know parts of our body that are you know integral to having a healthy healthy happy life mm-hmm. and so we've got brain we've got bones we've got you know progesterone yeah. is also a big mood booster as well so when we turn off these hormones it has far reaching effects mm-hmm. and this is why you know the like you were talking about before there are so many seemingly unrelated symptoms when it comes to the pill mm-hmm. like we talk about the gut health issue and you know you're more likely to have um, you know, a condition like an inflammatory gut condition, like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, you know, so there's, there's many things that are at play. And so when we turn off these hormones and this hormonal conversation, 
like I said, it, it's very, it's not very difficult for everyone to regain the conversation mm-hmm. once you come off, but for some, you know, all, all the people who come to me it are, it's time. really a problem yeah. and, and it can take years. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a woman who had not had a period in 11 years and then she did my program and really dedicated herself and got a period back, Amazing. which was incredible. I, awesome. That was the longest, I think it was like 11 or 12 years on the pill or just she, yeah. in general. Oh, okay. no, she hadn't been, she hadn't had a period for 12 years after coming off birth control. Oh my God. I know. It's crazy. Wow. So it's anywhere from like a month, literally to like 12, 14 years sometimes where you just, your body just needs to heal. Yeah. Right. So the focus really should be looking at your gut health as a, as a good starting place, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want to be absorbing nutrients and fat, protein, carbohydrates in particular to, to start to regain the nutrient stores that your body needs in order to menstruate. Because when you think about the ovulatory cycle and menstruation, it's very energy intensive, right? Mm-hmm. It's requiring a lot yeah. from your body. And if your body doesn't have the stores or the reserves, it's just like, sorry, girl, I can't do that this month. And, or, <laughs> you know, if your body doesn't feel safe, like if you're in this chronic state of overwhelm, stress, whatever, uh, your body is just again going to say, I'm going to pass this month. You know, it's too dangerous out yeah. there for me to ovulate and for you to potentially get pregnant because, just so everyone knows, your body's always trying to get pregnant. Okay. <laughs> so, right. Always <laughs> trying to get pregnant. That's the whole point of ovulation. And I, I mean, we just really haven't, we've evolved from 20,000 years ago, mm-hmm. but we haven't really. Like our brains haven't really, our bodies, how they function, haven't. I mean, the idea is for you to potentially get pregnant every month. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not every month, but you know, that's the goal to get pregnant every right. time you ovulate. And if your body senses any kind of external danger or a threat, or it senses something internal, like there's, you know, internal stress, like too much, you know, blood sugar is too high. There's too much inflammation, or there is a potential starvation looming. Like you're not eating enough calories. You're over exercising all of these factors, your body's, you know, your primitive brain is just like, okay, this is, this is not a good sign. Yeah. So what do we do in our modern lives? We diet, we over exercise, We try to lose weight. Super we try to have stressful. as little body fat as possible. Yep. We're chronically in, you know, in state of like chronic overstimulation and overstress. Yes. I, I could go on. Blue light in our faces at night, I mean, yes. which is another form of stress. So your body's like, oh, we're not getting any sleep. Okay, you're not getting pregnant this month either. You know, so it's right. just there's like a multiple. There are multiple factors that play into this. So when people say, what can I do to fix my period? I'm like, well, you know, you have to consider your a brain lot of things. and your stomach. Yeah, and yeah, all the things. So yes. But it's, but I think it's good. And if you take it slow, you yes. know, it can be overwhelming. Um, it is overwhelming. If And if you take it slow and kind of focus on different areas of your life at a, like one at a time, like there are also easy, quick fixes. Like yeah. I found a program that I installed in my computer and at 7 PM every night, the blue light disappears and yeah. it's yellow. And right. my boyfriend hates it. Cause if we watch shows, it's like the whole screen is yellow. I'm like too bad. I'm not turning the blue light back on. <laughs> um, same with my phone. I have yeah. that set up. So there are like simple fixes that can help you. You don't have to, you know, stop working at seven, right. No. To get your body ready. But like if I am working, let's say at night, but you can take the blue light away or, you know, there's, you know, working, finding other forms of workouts that kind of complement your totally. system in a better way. Yeah. So yes. 
Um, but yes, it is definitely it's a multifaceted. But yes. yeah, to speak to what you just said, though, there are so so many things that can be done, and it can definitely be implemented in an incremental way. Mm-hmm. And it's not. I, I'm not saying it to overwhelm women. I just want. Right. I think more than anything, we just need to know that there are multiple factors at play, and that you know the pill or whatever, any of these forms of birth control or medications, even they're not this one size fits. Well, they are a one size fits all, and they shouldn't be because our mm-hmm. bodies are not one size fits all, right? We're a unique kind of specimen and we've got our own circumstances, our own genetics and our own diets and whatnot. So yeah, I think that it is multifaceted, but we can start with the basics and really, and I think really see profound change. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Also the other thing is there's what, like a hundred plus types of birth control out there. It's crazy. Yeah. And each one you have to be on for at least three months to see how it, like, like that's what I had to do. I thankfully I just, the second one I went on was the one that worked for 10 years, but I mean, it seems easier to just figure out how you can change your lifestyle and then kind of go from there. Cause in three months you could make a huge change in your lifestyle as opposed to possibly spend a year plus finding the right pill for yourself or the right form of contraception. But like, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. So true. Um, it's a really good point. I know. <laughs> it's a really good way of putting it. But like we were saying, right, we've sort of been programmed to believe yeah. that this is what we need to be doing. Yes. I know. And that, but I definitely see a shift. I mean, we're we're starting exciting. to see major changes. I feel like women are almost demanding <laughs> that they get better care. Good. And it's not just asking anymore. They're full on taking a stand. And I think that that a huge part of that is social media and just the mm-hmm. availability of this information yeah. to, to really make changes, but there's still so much misinformation. And that's where, you know, we, that's where I want to continue to do better because I think that it's scary to even contemplate mm-hmm. coming off like you did, you know, after 10 years, I yeah. mean, I was terrified. And back then there were no smartphones. I was using a wall calendar. Yeah. I'm so old. And I just, you know, it was like one of those things where I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we just have to use condoms this whole time because I don't know when I'm ovulating. I know nothing. Yeah. And I finally got an iPhone and there was this tr- very primitive period tracking app on it in like 2008. Uh-huh. And it was, you know, the, I was so excited. I was like, okay, I got this. I think I got this down. But um, it is so scary yeah. to not have any idea about what's happening in your body and and to not know. I mean, you know, we're again medicating ourselves against our fertility and to not have this understanding that you're only fertile for a few days every month, mm-hmm. whereas men are fertile every single day of the month. Yes. And they ain't got nothing going on. Like, I know, you know not like, at all. There's no birth control <laughs> pill for them yet. I think yeah. the fear factor, though, is, is important to, to talk about, too, because you know, we're scared of getting pregnant and then we're scared of birth and um, delivery and we're scared of all these things. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, society and movies and TV shows. And we see all these things that are, everything is based in fear and finding a way to get back to understanding that this is like a totally natural, normal thing for us to go through. And the more information we have, the more empowered we can feel to just like feel confident and comfortable in our own bodies. Right. And, and to know we're capable of all this stuff. So, um, so before we finish up, I just have like kind of a question from a friend. Of course. So (laughs) she has been dealing with the most painful periods, like basically since she started getting them to the point where she's on very high doses of pain medication Mm -hmm. once a month. Um, sometimes it doesn't even work. She has to supplement it with like Advil or Tylenol or something like it's, it's bad. 
And um, it's cramps, basically, that just completely debilitate her. And she has been told to just go on the pill. And she did. And it just made her crazy. She hated it. So she went off. And then, um, and still, she's just kind of coping with it once a month. So, and, and the doctor told her that she has to maybe do, in, like, kind of invasive surgery to see if she has endometriosis. I don't yeah. know if that's... Yeah, that's that's the only way to determine whether you have endometriosis okay. or not to get a diagnosis is to do the keyhole surgery, okay. which, yeah, which will tell the doctors, I mean, they'll be able to get a camera in there and see right. whether they're endometrial lesions, which is insane that this is where we're at yeah. in 2019, yeah. that you actually have to have surgery to get diagnosed with a condition that's affecting millions upon millions of women. Right. Yeah. So would your recommendation because you even mentioned that you might have had that right right so but you never had that surgery I never no I never that. got a, a diagnosis of it and you know and but I changed I was like well I'm just gonna change my whole life and yeah see what happens and and that worked I, for you it did however I feel like we, you know for instance I've been writing a book for the last like nine months and yeah. it has been probably the most stressful experience of my entire <laughs> life I won't even go into it but I you know I did, you know, there were months where I had pain, so much pain and I was just like, shoot, this is crazy. And so I think that, you know, there's this ongoing conversation you have to have with your body. Once you do start to get back to right. an equilibrium that works for you, that, you know, there's a, there's a threshold yeah. that you probably shouldn't cross. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I talk about this a lot and yeah. So, but you should keep going. Cause yeah. I, yeah, I so, think that that's part of it. Yeah. Basically she just wanted to ask, you know, what would you recommend? Cause she's at the point where she's considering birth control again. And I, totally I get it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I think, and she, she, I told her about the woman code. This was, you know, a while back and, and she did make some of those changes and, and she saw some of what of a difference, but would you like, would you your program help or what would you kind of recommend for her maybe before she takes that final step and like yeah crossing uh, over <laughs> I know you don't know her and no, of course, you don't know all the details but her story is I mean literally like thousands of others yeah. that I've heard over the years and it really is reminiscent of my own experience mm-hmm. because I was desperate too and you know and it, the the desperation for a, right. an, a like a sustainable solution is so palpable to me and it's you know it's so unfortunate that we're just not there yet yeah but I would say that you know when it comes to when you think about and again, you know, I haven't, I haven't lived other people's experiences, so I know that it varies. There's a spectrum, (laughs) but when it comes to a condition like endo, for instance, um, the, the research is, is still pretty new, but Mm -hmm. there is some really compelling research around lifestyle interventions. And so when you think about endometriosis, yes. So just to clarify for everyone, the only surefire way to confirm you have it is through laparoscopic surgery where they go into your pelvic cavity, they look around and see whether there are lesions or not. Mm -hmm. And then the next step after that, if you do have it and you know, you have debilitating symptoms, which of course most do, then the next step is to have excision surgery where they remove all of those lesions and, and then close you back up. And the goal here ultimately would be that you would then implement major lifestyle changes. Right. And so the first, the first, when thinking about endometriosis, you know, there's really also compelling evidence that it is very much linked to inflammation. So Mm -hmm. underlying inflammation in the body. And I'm constantly wondering about 
how endometriosis develops and when it develops. Because I think about our diets and right. what kids are eating and what we have been eating now for basically decades. And how is that causing or potentially worsening the the or you know, the potential of developing this condition, mm-hmm. right? Because there's clearly a genetic component, but you know what's happening in our lifestyles, literally from the time we're born right. to the time we start to see symptoms during puberty. In many cases, uh, you know what's what's happening, and yeah. like what should we be doing about this? And I would love to see research on that. Like yes. if you know, and if that's very difficult, of course, because you'd have to compare different dietary habits mm-hmm. from childhood through pu- puberty, which yeah. is not easy to do or maybe impossible, <laughs> but I would find that fascinating. This is where my head goes. I yeah. really think about these things on a Saturday night. And <laughs> I was just telling Jessica Drummond, my friend the other day about yeah. that. Actually, I was like, do you think, and she's like, you need to slow down. Um, <laughs> but you know, I really, so when it comes to all of this, I would say that, you know, if there's, if this is an inflammatory disease, then what can we do to reduce inflammation? And so again, coming back to your gut health, for mm-hmm. instance, right? So it's, you know, there's so much evidence now, right? Showing that our guts are kind of a disaster mm-hmm. <laughs> and from as young as, you know, birth really. Yeah. Right. And so what can we do to support that? And so I, you know, in the program, like that's what I do. I, I walk you through a protocol. Like we're talking about what kind of food can you eat? What, you know, how can you support your liver? How can you support your gut? How can you support the stress in your life? Mm-hmm. And then how can you start tracking your cycle and becoming in tune with it, right? Because right. I think a lot of this is also deeply rooted in this this cultural shame around our periods and the fact that they've been hidden away for so long mm-hmm. that, I mean, when you think about the fact that you're hiding away a very key aspect of your biology, mm-hmm. um, that's your entire pelvic region. Like yeah. what happens when you ignore parts of your body? Eventually yeah. they start screaming at you and they're like, Hey, yeah, yeah. I want your attention. Yeah. So I think about that a lot in our cultural, you know, in that cultural um, conversation. And then, so coming back to what you can do. So you want to reduce inflammation. Like to me, that's the first, first okay. thing. So can you reduce the foods that would cause inflammation. So for me, that's an elimination diet. It's kind yes. of the gold standard and yep. it's, it's not easy to do. However, I don't know that it's harder than going through what your friend is probably going through. Right. So that's where we have to sort of reconcile that with ourselves, right? Because cookies and cake, they're amazing. We all love them, but they're really not doing your hormones any favors. So right. I start with an elimination diet. So I have women take out dairy, um, gluten, sugar, uh, and soy, for instance, that's a good start. So yeah. like those four, um, and corn as well. So those five and see what happens after a month, okay. like usually a 28 day kind of elimination diet. And in addition to that, you know, after that happens, then we look at gut healing, right? So leaky gut, for instance, if your gut is inappropriately leaky, cause it's kind of supposed to be a little leaky to let nutrients in. Mm-hmm. If it's inappropriately leaky and allowing bigger particles in your immune system is waiting right on the other side of your gut lining right. and it's ready to attack whatever gets into your bloodstream. That's not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. You're constantly having this immune response and endometriosis is a hundred percent tied to dysregulated immune function. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so this is not stuff that I think is really being discussed in the mainstream and should be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so what's happening with your gut? Is the gut bacteria healthy or is it caught, is it further exacerbating this leaky gut situation? So healing your gut lining, repopulating with healthy bacteria. Those are two key components Mm -hmm. because it's shown that there are certain types of bacterial toxins that basically 
basically leak through your gut lining and wreak havoc throughout your body. So that's you know another component of it. The third part is your liver. What's happening with your liver? Are you detoxing estrogen properly? Because right. estrogen is, you know, Sarah Gottfried talks about this. It's a lose it and you use it and lose it hormone, right? Mm-hmm. So you use it and then you really, it should go through your liver, through your gut, and then out Gone. in your poop. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not happening for a lot of us. So okay. our livers are just not getting the nutrients that they need to support that detoxification of estrogen because it's like, it's like a recycling plant, you know, mm-hmm. it just basically goes through all these processes and then goes into your gut and then goes out. And so what happens is if you don't have adequate B vitamins, for instance, you don't have adequate glutathione, which is a master antioxidant, you don't have amino acids from protein, then those processes in your liver are just not, they're not able to get the raw material that they need to to facilitate the process of removing estrogen, breaking it down and removing it. And so what happens is it tends to recirculate and it's even more potent potentially. And estrogen feeds these conditions. It's not the cause of it, but it definitely feeds endo, Mm -hmm. adenomyosis, fibroids, you know, heavy, heavy periods. It will feed your uterine lining. So we have to really think of this as a multifaceted approach. And then in terms of inflammation from a supplement perspective, I found that curcumin works amazingly well, Mm -hmm. seeing it works so, so well for a period pain, generally speaking, um, as well as glutathione to support your liver detoxification. Again, that antioxidant is going to mop up all the things that are mm-hmm. causing your pain. Um, and what else is there? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. And yeah. acetylcysteine, that's another one that really supports glutathione production in your liver. So, you know, there's a multi, it's like I said, multi-step pro- protocol, right. but like really starting with your food, I think is the most basic thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And in just addressing like what you're putting nutrient in your deficiencies. Body. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a good yeah. place to start. Yeah. The two that I take, um, are, um, dim. Yes. And Vitex Berry. Yes. Are those okay to take together? Yes. I mean, because I looked it up before I started the DIM because I've been on Vitex Berry for like two months. Yeah. And I, you know, like I feel fine. I saw, I guess, a little bit of a change, but, um then my facialist was like, I have a lot of clients on dim and that like really just like cleared up their skin. Yeah. So I started that about a week ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, have you so dim supports? So dim will support phase one of your, your liver detoxification. Okay. And so that's part of why it works so, so well mm-hmm. for a lot of people to okay. clear up their acne. I, you know, I'm always cautious with, with any of these kinds of supplements, especially right. combining them and, yeah. and saying it on a podcast as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, you should totally do this. Right. Because right. We're all so different. Yes. I think that, you know, of course you got to talk to your doctor, but you also have to, you know, trust your intuition as well. Yeah. Like if something doesn't feel right, you should definitely stop, stop. it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we're so sort of tuned out of our intuition yeah. a lot of the time that we don't really pay attention to it and we keep going. So I always say like, if you start to feel symptoms that are not normal for you, mm-hmm. definitely stop and speak to someone, speak to a medical professional about it. But okay. yeah, like with DIM, it's that supporter of phase one, whereas SGS, for instance, which is sulforaphane glucosinolate, it's a different form of, it's, it's very much like DIM, but it supports phase two of your detoxification. Mm -hmm. So that works well for a lot of people as well in supporting this, this estrogen detox. Yeah. Um, but yes, like I've seen dim work miracles for, you know, for women who have phase one issues. Okay. So that's the thing, right? Dim might not work for you if you don't have a phase one problem and maybe you have a phase two problem or maybe estrogen is not being detox or is not being processed in your gut properly. So it might be a gut issue. So that's why it's important for us to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. what the symptoms there's are. There's no like band-aid. No. Or there's no one one quick fix for everyone. There isn't. I know. <laughs> and Vitex, of course, is a whole other can of worms. Yes. 
Yeah, so for my final three questions, I ask yes. everyone. Yes. It's kind of like a fire oh. quick round. Okay. <laughs> um, what mantra or words do you like to live by? Oh, just know thyself. Know just thyself. Really, yes, That's great. Really check in with your gut mm-hmm. always. Because like I was saying, I just feel like we have been taught from such a young age to not listen to what our bodies are trying to tell us yeah. because we go to the doctor and they tell us otherwise right. or they give us medication. And so ultimately that was my biggest lesson yeah. in this journey that I've been on with my health. Yeah. Like our logical brain kind of gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Or not, or somebody else's opinion. Gets right. In the way, exactly. Right. And yeah. yes. And so we, we sort of like diminish that internal voice and it just becomes a little bit of a whisper. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And I think that cultivating that conversation for women is, is integral to healing. Super important. I yeah. agree. Um, so we all know it takes a village to raise kids. What do you most value in your community of friends or family? Um, kind of just not necessarily to raise kids, but you know, like that they could pass on to next generations. Yeah, you know, I'm friends with a lot of woo-woo people. <laughs> so, so am I. Awesome. Yes, I bet you are. <laughs> and what I so admire about so many of these women is that they are doing the really hard generational work mm-hmm. to address their own trauma from their own childhoods mm-hmm. and not pass it on. And literally yes. the buck stops with them. And I'm in such awe of that. Like, yeah. I, I think that that truly can, it, it's generational healing yeah. basically. Yeah. And yeah. When I think about that, I get goosebumps a little bit because <laughs> that's not something that previous generations really have been focused on. And now I, I see right. a shift in it. It's really cool to see that. Yeah, definitely. Like cutting those cords and even ancestral work. Yes. That has been something new to me that I've done a little bit of. Um, my best friend owns a crystal store in LA and she gifted me this um, reading that had to do with like cutting cords of like these ancestral issues that have been passed down to me. Oh, and people yeah. just don't really believe in it or like, you know, think about it. It's just, it's very interesting. So I agree. That's yeah. awesome that the buck stops with them, as you said. I think that's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and then what qualities you most admire and hope to instill in future generations, which you're kind of already doing with your work but I would like to believe that you are (laughs) again I think coming back to you know how many when I think about how many people have said to me man I had no idea about this like why didn't anybody tell me that this is how my body works it's that is that they don't ever have to say that right that they have they've already developed or cultivated this understanding of you know or and, and deep resonance with their menstrual cycles so that, you know, they're, cause it's not only about understanding the physical components, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the emotional and the spiritual. And I think that ultimately that's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. I want to see anyone with a uterus and, you know, a vagina doing that, yeah. really having that resonance with their bodies so that they're not in a place of disempowerment and they can be their own self-advocates and, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, live healthier lives right. and more empowered lives because they have this information that I think is a birthright. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you. Where can people find you? So you can find me on my website. It's mm-hmm. NicoleJardim.com. And I have a blog with a lot of this information. Yeah, I'll definitely course. share the link yes. for everything. And I also have a podcast as well. It's called The Period Party. It's lots of, mm-hmm. lots of episodes there for anything you could ever imagine, I, I think, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to your menstrual cycle and your hormones. And, um, and then also on Instagram. Yes. I'm just Nicole and Jardim. 
So Perfect. I'll share a lot of stuff there too. Great. I will share all of that in the podcast notes. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and share it with a friend. Check out the podcast notes for the links we mentioned in our conversation and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. Thanks for listening.